elbow bumps and knuckle bumps and those kind of things as opposed to shaking hands and that kind of thing. But we sense the community of the people of God gathering together, and that's very important. I'm honored, Pat and I are, to be with you during these days. And uh, we want to anticipate the day, hopefully very soon, but the day in God's timing, on God's timetable, when your search committee brings before you a candidate to be your pastor. And I do not want us ever together in this place without praying for that. What if God sent you exactly the kind of pastor you've been praying for? If you've been praying, that'd be a good thing. If you haven't, it might be surprise. Uh, and so let's bow right now and pray for our pastor search team. You know them. How blessed you are to have them. And let's pray for them, okay? Our Father, we pause and lift to you these who serve on our pastor search team. Keep them close to you and to this church. Give them insight that only you can give. Give them a determination to walk with you and with one another and to prayerfully search out that one about whom you know now who is to come and lead in this place and guide them to him. And may it be a blessed day when they come and make their report and share a name and the future is out there. But God, until then, let us be faithful in gathering to worship you. Let us be faithful students of your word. Let us walk in the power of your Holy Spirit. Let us make a difference, the difference that you want made in this community, in this county, in this area of our state, in our state, our country, and literally around the world. May we together make the difference that you want us to make. Give us a passion, God, to serve you and to make a difference for you. For we dare to ask it in the name that's above every name, even the name of Jesus. Amen. I invite you to look in your own copy of the Word of God or on the screen if you can see that. Uh, aren't you amazed by technology and when it works and when it doesn't? You know, when Satan fell, he fell straight into the sound system and the video and all of that. But you know what? We'll make it just fine. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. I'm going to begin reading in verse 15, and we'll read down through verse 18. Acts 17, 15 through 18. Now those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they left. 
Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present and also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what will this babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. May God add his blessing to this, the reading of his word. Years and years ago now, when I was younger, a student, I, like many young preachers, spent days in youth-led evangelism. It was a wonderful experience, and I was in more than a few camps. I still remember one where the theme song from the week went like this. Just one man in a world full of men is like one star in a sky full of stars, but that one man can change his world if he'll just try. He must give with no thought of return. He must love when his love has been spurned. He must live and be willing to die. Just one man. Is that true? Can one man really make a difference? Or one group of men? Or one church? Can it really make a difference? Can you and I really make a difference in our kind of confused world, whether we be talking about COVID or the moral corruption and degradation of our society or racial prejudice or any of these kind of things that have been a problem for us in recent days, can one man really make a difference? Well, you may remember something about Paul's trip to Athens. By the way, this is the only time that we know Paul ever came to Athens. You may remember that he had started out on what we know as his second missionary campaign. His long-range plan was to go deep into Asia with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you know, sometimes long-range planning don't meet God's planning. And God had a different plan. God told Paul, no, you're not going to go to Asia at this time. And you may remember that he had a vision deep in the night, and he saw the man from Macedonia, Europe, saying, come over and help us. And God was saying, not Asia, but Europe. And if you think about that, you're very glad because the gospel of Jesus Christ spread up through Europe into Germany, on over to England, 
and ultimately to the new world. You and I are believers today, perhaps primarily because Paul's plans were changed. Well, as he went into Macedonia, he went to Philippi, preached. You remember the story there on the riverside, some folks were saved. A church was begun and it became a very special church to Paul. But persecution arose and Paul had to leave. He next found himself in Thessalonica. Again, he preached. Again, people believed. Again, a church was begun. And we have First and Second Thessalonians in our scripture growing out of that, that experience other places. Then persecution arose and he went on his way to Berea. And, and the same thing was repeated again. And Paul found himself in Athens alone. Now, have you ever been in a strange city alone in which you did not want to be there, wondering what on earth is going on? Paul was to learn what you and I need to learn. That is that God does not waste things and does not waste opportunities. Athens in Paul's time was a bit of a has-been city, but it had been a home of intellectualism. It had been a home of philosophy, theology, all that kind of thing. Some of the most beautiful sites in the ancient world were in Athens. And as Paul was there alone, wondering about everything that had happened to him, he began to walk the streets of the city. And he learned some things. He learned that you can make a difference if you can be moved by the right things. In verse 16, we see Paul as he walks the streets of this city, he begins to notice all kind of idols and, and, and statues, pagan gods. And the scripture says that his spirit was moved within him. The word means he was provoked. It means that he looked and he saw things as they were instead of as they could be. And he saw what this was doing to people for whom God cared very much. And he could not remain unconcerned and calloused. Though he had not wanted to be there when he saw the need of the place, something happened in his life and he began to care. He began to be moved by the right things. And it begs the question, my friends, can you and I be moved by the right things? Can we somehow... Because of conditions around us, as God interacts with us, as He gives us a new vision, can we somehow see the condition of folks and be moved with a passion that we've not had before? I read a fascinating interview this week with the British theologian N.T. Wright. And N.T. Wright made the comment, that for most of Western evangelical Christianity, we have had it so very easy 
that it is hard for us to be moved by the conditions of our world. When you think about it, when you think about it, I tell you, I do not want to invite persecution. But when you think about it, the church, the church has done rather well in times of stress and persecution. It is prosperity that has dealt us misery. It is when we think we have all we need that we've not cared enough. Look at there. Thank you, Thane. And we need those times, as I was saying, to to kind of wake us wake us up. COVID. Is it a distraction for us? Or is it an opportunity that God interjects before us? Race relations. You've got to be moved by the kind of thing that's been going on in our nation. But perhaps it reminds us that that God is colorblind. And we who love God need more colorblindness in our lives. Uh, Perhaps it ought to remind us that, that in our country founded on religious freedom... Over a million babies a year aborted, killed. Perhaps it ought to remind us of of the indifference of things in our church. And Well, what would it take? What would it take to provoke us into a new sense of activity and action and compassion for our world? Why could Paul... Why could Paul be provoked in that way? Two reasons seem to stand out for me. One is his love for Jesus. Paul deeply loved Jesus. Galatians 6.14, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.20, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But not only did he have a deep love for Jesus, he had a deep compassion for people. He cared for people for whom Christ died. Every person he saw, he saw as a child created in the image of God who need to know the wonderful redemption available in Jesus Christ. And so he wrote to the church at Rome, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they may be saved. 
and to the church at Philippi. Paul discussed his desire to go on and be with the Lord, and, and yet he came to say, do you recall it? For me to stay and be with you is far better. I, I care for you. I want you to know about Jesus. I want you to fall deeply in love with him as well. But what about us? Could it be the beginning of a new day? Are we being called to care about what really matters? Are we being called to a new day asking God to call out our, our, our young people who fall so deeply in love with Jesus that they'll be the missionaries and pastors of tomorrow? Are we being called to a new day to be provoked to do what we've never done before? You know, folks, we're talking not about ability we're talking about availability. We're not talking about what we naturally have. We're talking about what God can do as we give ourselves to Him. And so we used to sing that, Oh, Him, remember it? Set my soul afire, Lord. Set my soul afire. A few years ago, our, our church gave us a sabbatical in England, and while we were there, we went to Scotland. And I went to find the statue, the statue of John Knox. John Knox, that Scottish Presbyterian preacher, do you remember his prayer? God, give me Scotland or I die. Queen Mary of the Scots said that she feared the prayers of that preacher more than she feared the armies of her enemy. How we need that. How we need that today. You can make a difference. You can make a difference if you can be stirred, provoked to good things. But you can make a difference if you can go to the right place as well. What happened to Paul when he became provoked. He went three places. He went to the synagogue. Uh, that, in that time for him, was a church. It was a place where the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles met, those who, met, the, those who had a background in, in knowing what he's talking about. He, he, he went to the church. And if I've discovered anything about me in these last years, it is this, I am a churchman. Now, if I ever find a perfect church, I'm not going to join it, because if I did, it would become imperfect. There are no perfect churches. But, but the church is, is the bride of Christ. And if we care about our world, we have to care about our church and we have to be faithful to our church. And we have to do what's best for our church. And we have to care more about our brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. As I was talking last Sunday about one another than we do about ourselves. He went to the church and you and I must go there as well. 
But you discovered that not only did he go to church, he went someplace else. He went to the marketplace. The marketplace. Outside the church. Now my friends, what we do in this place is not unimportant. What we do in this place is come together and worship and study and we hopefully encourage one another and train one another and disciple one another and send one another out. But we're also the church when we go into the marketplace. And we need to be in the marketplace. And Paul is there because it was there in the marketplace that he knew he would find the people who were paying attention to those idols and people who needed to hear the message of Jesus Christ. One of the concerns that we have in our time for the church, how many people who are lost, unchurched, do you know? Most of us, the more involved we are in the church, most of our friends are in the church. And many, many of our involvements are here. That's not wrong. But some of your friends need to be out there. And you need relationship with them in school and on the job, and in the neighborhood. You need to know people who do not know Jesus. There's a third place that Paul went. If we could go on, and sometime today, you ought to read the remainder of the 17th chapter of Acts. Paul was carried to the Areopagus, Mars Hill, It was a place where the intellects met, where the highly educated met, the place where they talked about philosophy and politics and all those kind of things. And Paul went there as well. Athens was the center of great learning, great universities. I have no idea how their football team did, but great learning. And, and and Paul was at home talking to the most intelligent, the most philosophical, the most learned people of his time. So whether he was at the synagogue or in the marketplace or, or in the place of learning, He was in the right place because it was there that people needed him. And then he learned that that you make a difference if you say the right thing. Did did you see what he said to them, why, why they wanted more from him at the end of verse 18? Because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. It's the gospel. It's a story of the babe who was born and and who went to a cross. There have been those who criticized Paul because he didn't mention the cross here. Well, he did. You don't have a resurrection until you have a cross. 
And Paul realized that in this city of of great learning, in this city of great tradition, in this city where there are these idols on every corner, even one to the unknown God, in this place what men needed more than men needed anything else was a right relationship with God only made possible through Jesus Christ. Nothing could really change for them until they knew Jesus. They might have great learning, but until they met him, they didn't know enough. They might have great opportunity, but until they knew him, they they didn't really have enough. Well, what happened? What happened? Well, there have been those who said that Paul failed in Athens. That not much happened. But I want to show you something. Verse 34 of Acts 17. Some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. At least four people, at least four, came to know Christ. Well, what happened? I, I want to share with you something that is amazing to me. G. Campbell Morgan, in his commentary on, on Acts, listen to this. From church history, we know that there were wonderful results in Athens. In the next century, that church at Athens gave to the Christian church Publius, Quadratus, Aristides, Athenagoras, and other bishops and martyrs. In the third century, there was peaceable, peaceable and pure. In the fourth century, The Christian schools at Athens gave to the Christian church Basil and Gregory. Down through the years, God used that church at Athens. Paul never went back to Athens. But because he was there, because he looked out and got provoked about the situation there, because he got with people where they were, because he shared Christ with him because he preached Jesus and the resurrection. God continued to do something out of that event for years and years to come. When I was in high school in the Houston area, I was in Pasadena. There was a school across town named Smiley High School. All kind of things were going on in that school and parents were literally moving out of the district so their kids wouldn't go there. And a small group of students started a Youth for Christ club out of their love for Jesus and wanting to make a difference in their school. It caught on. By the time I was in high school, not in Smiley High School, but the Youth for Class 
Youth for Christ Club in Smiley High School had 850 kids meeting every week in that school, sharing their faith in Christ and encouraging one another. And parents were no longer moving out. Now they're trying to buy homes in the district to get their kids there. Some of them came to Pasadena and shared what was going on there. And a Youth for Christ club was started. Going out of that, there was a time a few years ago when out of that Youth for Christ club started in my high school, there were 11 churches in Texas pastored by graduates of Pasadena High School because of that. There were two missionaries on foreign fields. What happens? What happens? Can one man, can one group, can one group of students, can can one group of deacons, can one church make a difference? I submit to you that if we love Jesus supremely and really care for one another, we can come down to the end of life's journey and say with Paul, I've run the course. I've finished the race. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown. One man. Would you be that man? Or woman? Or church? Looking at your world not through the eyes of what Satan has done, but looking through your world, at your world, through the eyes of what God wants for your world. God help us. Let's pray. In the quietness of this moment, would you look at your Lord and just say, Lord, whatever you want to do through me, wherever you want to do it through me, I give you permission to work through me to make a difference, to help me be concerned about the things you're concerned about, to help me go where your people are and to help me share what they desperately need to hear. Would you just tell God you want to be a part of that? And then every day, awake and say, God, where and what do you have for me today? If you've never, if you've never made the discovery of knowing Jesus for yourself, why not right where you sit now say, my Lord and my God, I claim you as my Savior. And then when we sing in a moment, you come and share it with us. Or maybe God leads you to become identified with this church as a member. Uh, You're welcome to come forever. But maybe it's time for the commitment of membership for you as well. 
and you've come this morning to be a part of that. Our God, we're not one another's judge. We are to be one another's encouragers. And God, may we hear from you. And may we see through your eyes and be your people for such a day as this. In the name of Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Now we're going to sing what we call in the church a hymn of invitation. There are those of you who have decisions to make public today. It's your joy to come. You may want to come to the altar and just pray if God leads you to do that and that helps you see what He's doing in your life. Come. It may be that you need to claim Christ as your Savior. Come, we'll help you with that. Let God have His way. Let's stand together. We're going to sing. I'll meet you here at the front. stripped away and I simply come longing just to bring something that's worth that will bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have required you search much deeper within through the way things appear you're looking into my heart i'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. King of endless world, no one how much you deserve Though I'm weak and poor And all I have is yours Every single breath I'll bring you more than a song For a song in itself is not what you have required you search much deeper within through the way things appear you're looking into my heart i'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus. Thank you.
for being here this morning and your attention to the Word of God. Uh, we have, y'all come and stand here by me if you will.